You're listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss the case of the eight-day bride. Hello, and welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. I hope that you all had an amazing Memorial Day weekend. Uh, My family had a great time, um, but more exciting than Memorial Day is the fact that my daughter is out of school now, and so we can really just relax, and I don't have to really set an alarm anymore on my phone. And seriously, as an adult, isn't that just one of the most amazing feelings in the world? It gives me such a rush when I go to bed and I'm like, oh man, I've got to set my, uh, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, I don't. Woohoo! Who needs heroin when you can just not set an alarm? (laughs) Thank you for all of your responses to the case that we covered last week. It's always fun to discuss those cases from the show. I love Unsolved Mysteries. I grew up hearing about those cases when they were not yet solved. So it's such a treat to hear that many of the cases now have resolution. Resolution for the victims and for the families. That's all we want here, right? All right, now is the time I'm going to start doing some shameless plugs. So congrats, you've been warned. If you didn't know, we have an Instagram where you can see pictures and sometimes video from the cases that we cover. I run polls in the stories. You can DM cases that you'd like me to cover. You can uh, even DM me, uh, hello, you're so awesome, Michelle. You're so great. I love listening to your podcast. (laughs) Those are much appreciated as well. Um, We also have a website, www.mysterystillunsolved.com, where you can binge all of our cases and read a few of my scripts. I'm still downloading them. It's a whole thing, but I'll get to it. Now that my daughter's out of school, I'll be a lot more relaxed. Okay, I decided to cover the eight-day bride case today because, as you know, wedding season has officially begun. And I just thought it was a timely and relevant case to kick off summer 2021. There are a lot of wild twists and turns in this episode, so I hope you ate a light lunch and please fasten your seatbelts as it's undoubtedly going to be a very bumpy ride. I don't even know if I'll have time to run down the aisles to give you any complimentary peanuts or beverages. That's how unpredictable this ride slash case is going to be. So without further delay, let's get this show on the road. This case is quite the trifecta. You've got a hasty marriage, a secluded cottage, and a love triangle. See, I told you, wild. Even just one of those things would be cause for concern, but then you put them all together and what do you got? An unsolved murder case from the 1940s. That's what? 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 On the evening of May 20th, 1947, the body of Christina Kettlewell was found 150 feet from a secluded cottage that she and her new husband had been honeymooning in. She was found lying in nine inches of water along the banks of a river near Severn Falls, a lake in Ontario, Canada. But how did she end up here? 
where had it all gone wrong? Let's backtrack a little and learn a bit more about what may have caused this unfortunate event. Christina McCone, which was her maiden name, lived in Ontario, Canada, and she worked at a bank where she was described as a, quote, capable employee, unquote. Which, ouch, that's got to hurt. Like, why didn't they say, like, she was so awesome. She was so great. We loved her. We're so sad that she's gone. They just were like, oh, yeah, she was capable. That's, like, literally couldn't say anything else better than that. You guys suck. Anyways, on May 12th, 1947, she and her longtime beau, John Ray Kettlewell, who preferred to be called Jack, decided to elope after disappearing and not telling family or friends for the past two weeks where they were. The two had known each other for the past three years, but it was unclear from my research if they had dated that entire time or if they just known each other that entire time or had dated on and off during that time. Jack was a 26-year-old war veteran. Christina's family was very concerned about the marriage between Jack and Christina. Her father was mainly concerned that Jack was not a Roman Catholic, and that was very upsetting to him. Uh, Jack did convert to please his hopeful father-in-law, but even then, the family had reservations. They just couldn't understand, and honestly, neither can I, the looming presence of his somewhat sketchball of a best friend, Ronald Barry. Ronald Barry was Jack's best friend. He was a 28-year-old immigrant from Italy and a professional ballroom dancer. It is said that Jack, Christina, and Ronald spent an alarming amount of time together, to the point where many people found it odd, and I'm included in that. Christina's sister Helen would go on to comment that she and her family always had this feeling that perhaps Ronald was secretly in love with Christina. Following the elopement, the newlywed Kettlewell spent the next few days in an apartment in Toronto, Canada. You know, when you finally marry the love of your life and you want to spend some time smooching and cuddling in the sexy times, but oh no, wait, what's this? Ronald Barry joined the newlyweds for the entirety of their honeymoon. Uh, what? That's not a choice. It's a little weird. Um, this is taking third wheeling to a whole nother level. On May 17th, the trio left Toronto and headed to Ronald's secluded cabin in Severn Falls. This cabin was like super, super secluded, like only accessible by boat secluded. I know when we talk about secluded or isolated, it's like, okay, they were alone and stuff and like not very many people around. But I feel like when you know it's only accessible by a boat, kind of hits you different. You know what I'm saying? While at the cabin, Christina began to behave quite bizarrely. She would break out into these random crying fits, and then moments later look dazed and confused and completely unresponsive to Jack or Ronald. Evidence suggests that while at the cabin, Christina supposedly had conversations with Ronald questioning Jack's love for her, which, I mean, I don't think you should be all too concerned about that during your honeymoon. That's like the most in love people ever are, right? <laughs> the honeymoon stage? On May 20th, Christina disappeared from the cottage. 
Curiously, on the same day, Ronald's cottage burned down. Apparently, Ronald had left to go get supplies or he was like in the boathouse or something. And when he returned, he found the cottage ablaze and his friend Jack was disoriented and with an apparent head injury. Ronald pulled his friend's body out of the burning inferno and then attempted to find Christina. He couldn't find her anywhere. And even though he didn't want to leave her there, he knew he'd have to take the boat to get help. Not only to help him find Christina, who couldn't be found, but also for Jack, who was in desperate need of medical care. From the time the cottage caught fire to the time it was completely ash, it was only one hour. All right, so Ronald takes this boat and he gets Jack to a hospital and then he calls the police and it is after the police arrive that Ronald discovers that it's only going to get worse from here on out. Because... Christina's lifeless body was found submerged in nine inches of water, just 150 feet from the cabin. Her body was free of burns. It was free of injuries. Uh, During the autopsy, they were able to find traces of codeine in her stomach, but her ultimate cause of death was drowning. Even more interesting is that when Major Lawrence Scardafield arrived at the scene as a first responder, he had been in the area where Christina's body was later found to gather water to put out the flames, and he swears that he did not see her there. So how did her body get there? Had she been there the whole time and Major Scardafield had just been so preoccupied with the fire that he hadn't noticed, or had she been placed there afterwards? Jack was interrogated by the police for three hours after being released from the hospital. He had been treated for burns, shock, a head injury, and an apparent drugging. However, Jack claimed he couldn't recall anything from the day after about 11 a.m. Ronald was questioned by the police for a grueling 13 hours in which he provided a 3,000-word statement that police would later describe as, quote, fantastic end quote. All right. Interesting choice of a word. Fantastic. I would have been like, oh, this is very interesting. But they're like, this is fantastic. On June 19th, an inquest into Christina's death officially began, which became quite a spectacle. People crowded the courtroom and lined up outside for only a small chance at getting a glimpse of either Ronald or Jack. Remember, this was the 40s, so this was like the people, this was like the people of the day's chance of getting like a tiny snippet of what we would now refer to as reality TV trash. People, particularly women, would line up to get Jack and Ronald's autographs or snap a picture with them. It should be noted that Jack and Ronald were not on trial for the murder of Christina, rather to simply determine if foul play had been present in her death. This case was highly sensationalized and, as you will see in a little bit, played out much like the soap operas your mom used to watch in the late 90s. The jury of the inquest could not determine whether or not foul play had been involved in Christina's death. They stated, quote, due to the fact the postmortem examination disclosed codeine in her stomach and the suspicious fact that she was found drowned, this jury is unable to determine using the evidence given whether she was a victim of foul play or not, end quote, which I think points to foul play, but whatever. Jack and Ronald were in the clear, as there was no concrete evidence to implicate either one of them in her death, but it didn't stop people from talking about the bizarre nature of the trio's relationship with each other before Christina's untimely death. 
you know, the 40s, there's no TV, and there's like some hot steamy gossip, you've got to talk about it, right? Throughout the proceedings of the inquest, a lot of stuff became exposed. Questionable things, interesting things, scandalous things. Police reports claim that there were signs and evidence that Christina was apparently very, very distressed by the unnatural conduct of her husband and Ronald, which, same girl, same. Many people began to believe that Ronald and Barry were in a secret relationship and that it's possible Christina might have found out that she was being used as a beard. And this is what had happened because of that discovery. But let's get into just some of the more plausible and interesting theories surrounding Christina's death. Theory number one. Some people believe that Christina was suffering from mental illness and that she may have killed herself. The main piece of evidence suggesting validity to this theory comes from her own hand. I know sometimes when we talk about old-timey cases, they're like, the woman was hysterical and that's what caused this. But like, literally... They might have had something going with this one. I'll cut them some slack because apparently Christina had written several suicide notes prior to her death. The first note was written on Easter, just five weeks before her and Jack's wedding, and it was addressed to Ronald Barry. In it, she writes that she tried to poison herself as she was uncertain if she would ever receive a proposal from Jack. In it, she claims that, quote, this will be the best way out and I cannot bear to see another girl have him, end quote. Jack does recall that Christina complained of feeling ill the morning of her death, but claims he knew nothing about her suicide note, which, if it was addressed to Ronald, I mean, yeah, he might never have seen it. Uh, Christina apparently wrote Ronald another suicide note at the end of April, this time saying, quote, was to not only kill herself, but Jack as well, end quote. She wrote, Quote, when you love someone, you really love him, and there is no one for me but Jack, and if I cannot have him, I don't intend anyone else to either. I waited, as you might say, that Jack would ask me to marry him, but now I realize I was never anything more than just a passing fancy, end quote. The last note was written the day before she died. It was addressed to a Mrs. Thomas. Mrs. Thomas was apparently a woman who the couple had once stayed with before getting married for like a couple of weeks. Once Christina had written it, she instructed Ronnie to mail it for her, which he did. The note read, quote, Ronnie is in the boathouse outside somewhere. By the time he returns, everything will be over with. Ronnie must have been afraid something would happen because he is staying with us an extra day to make sure we go back to Toronto with him, end quote. Okay, so now things are maybe starting to make a little bit more sense. Maybe going on this honeymoon was just as awkward for Ronnie as it seems to us, but perhaps he was just really concerned about the well-being of his two friends. I mean, he's been getting these suicide notes where she's claiming that she's going to kill herself, and now she's claiming that she's going to kill herself and Jack. Um, I mean, especially since Jack doesn't seem to know anything about Christina's well-being, her suicide notes. Um, yeah. Maybe Ronnie's not such a weirdo after all, but just a concerned friend that's trying to keep tabs on his best friend and Christina. All notes were confirmed to be written by Christina. Jack didn't even find out about the notes until the official inquest was performed. So not even after Christina died and he got hit in the head, Ronnie still didn't tell him anything about the notes. It wasn't until they did like an investigation and the 
trial started that he found out about these notes. This is strange uh, because these letters were the only item Ronnie chose to risk his life to rescue from the burning cottage, which I find a bit unusual. If Ronnie is supposedly innocent in all this, it does beg to question why he was so dead set in running in and grabbing these letters while the cottage is on fire. It's a bit sus. It just almost seems like he ran in in an attempt to exonerate himself. But why? I don't know. Furthermore, Ronnie, during the course of his 13-hour interrogation, provided a somewhat different story that varies greatly from the first account. In this scenario, he claims that he returned from the boathouse to find his friend Jack with blood on his face and looking incredibly disoriented. And in this account, he says that he saw Christina standing there. He asked Christina what she has done, but she just stood there in a daze with tears in her eyes. Ronnie claims he carried his friend outside, and as he passed the living room, he couldn't help but notice a strong odor of coal oil. When he returned 15 minutes later, because he was like trying to revive and check on his friend, um, he saw smoke spilling out of the house, and Christina and the weapon she had used to hit Jack over the head with was missing. So that's his other story. And this story is drastically different and still super confusing and weird. While this account seems to implicate Christina, it's important to note that it contradicts every other version of events that Ronald has ever given. C.P. Hope, the prosecutor in the inquest, called Ronald, quote, a liar of the most blatant kind and a sinister figure. This brings us to the second theory. This theory points to Jack and Ronald not being as innocent as they'd like to have you believe, but instead basically implicates them as being conspirators and orchestrators of this tragedy from the beginning. It all started when the inquest uncovered insurance policies purchased before Christina's death. Apparently, Jack had taken out two $5,000 life insurance policies, one for himself and one on Christina. Both policies contained a double indemnity clause, which would allow the benefits received by the beneficiary to double if the person died in some sort of unfortunate accident, a sum worth about $200,000 today. Strangely, Ronald Barry was listed as the beneficiary on both of the policies, which I feel like you would normally award the money to your spouse in case in the case of your untimely demise. But nope, not these weirdos. They're going to give it to their friend. I mean, who are we to judge? They were very close. Ronald even came on the honeymoon. I don't know. I don't know. Furthermore, Ronald had recently taken out an insurance policy on his cabin for the amount of $5,000 and then mysteriously or conveniently, depending on how you want to look at it, the beneficiary for that policy was Jack. Apparently Jack, after returning home from war, gifted Ronald his war gratuity, a payment to Canadian servicemen when discharged. Also, Jack had randomly removed all of his family members from his living will and again left everything to Ronald. Doesn't this seem a bit curious, curious indeed, that the two men would purchase insurance policies that would max out in benefits if, like, very certain things occurred, like all the planets aligned, and then shortly after purchasing these policies, that exact same situation occurred. Very interesting. 
Also, Christina's wedding ring became a suspicious detail upon further investigation as it was never recovered after Christina's death. Did Christina toss the ring before she attempted a murder-suicide, or did Ronnie and Jack take the ring for further financial gain? Another interesting twist in the story is that in an interview police held with Jack, um, he apparently admitted that he and Ronald had been in an intimate relationship with each other for quite some time. However, in court, Jack claimed that he was coerced into making the statement so that the police could use it for their own gain. Basically, it wasn't true, but that the agenda the police were trying, it was the agenda that the police were trying to uh, run with, and so they had coerced him into making the statement. The inquest states, mind you, this is the 1940s, that the relationship between Ronnie and Jack was, quote, to put it mildly, highly unnatural, end quote. There was no evidence to ever prove this relationship, but it was highly suspected. Uh, C.P. Hope, here's that prosecutor again, hammered Jack with questions on the stand, arguing that the two were not only friends, but in fact lovers. In an article written years later, the official report came out on the case, which stated that, quote, after many hours and vigorous and tedious questioning, Kettlewell did finally admit to a salacious affair with Mr. Barry, and it was due to his admittance that the love triangle was finally able to take shape, end quote. I mean people under duress being questioned for multiple hours especially in the 40s when they like didn't necessarily have all the rights that we have today i mean yeah he may have been coerced into saying something untrue just to get the questioning to stop that happens all the time even now i mean i feel like a couple of years ago i watched a very interesting docu-series on netflix i'm pretty sure it was called like false confessions or something like that and it talks all about the dirty sneaky things law enforcement officers will do to get people to admit to things that they didn't do such as getting their um, suspects so tired and so delirious that they will say just about anything to like get it to end um some things that they say are quote just sign this statement and it will all be over end quote or just sign this and you can go home This is not ethically or morally right. It's not how they're trained to conduct themselves in interrogations, but, I mean, it happens. It happens. Well, now, if these two men didn't murder Christina, I feel a little bit bad for them because now not only are they being investigated for a murder, but their relationship has been outed as well. Or maybe they didn't even have a relationship, and then that's just another layer of unfairness to them. I do wonder if perhaps the two men were lovers, as that's kind of the only thing that makes sense to me at this point with them listing each other as beneficiaries. I don't know. It's a little weird. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my best friend forever, but she's not my beneficiary. My husband and my kids are. (laughs) But maybe Christina just found out about their relationship and that drove her crazy? Or maybe the two men were in cahoots with one another, playing Christina as some sort of a pawn, and they knew how she would react if she knew, and how she would respond and took advantage of that by purchasing these policies, planning on Christina's instability. Christina's sister Helen comments that Christina confided in her that she had actually been drugged prior to the elopement, and that when she came to, she just accepted her new marital status. The police agreed that Christina had been using mind-altering drugs for quite some time. It was present in her, like, brain tissues um, before her death, but it still remains unclear if she was self-administering these drugs or if she was being forced to take these drugs. 
Helen also confided that Christina told her that she feared both Jack and Ronnie. Mrs. Thomas also claimed that Christina had mentioned to her that she feared something bad was going to happen if Ronald joined them on their honeymoon. An assumption that proved correct. Three years after Christina's death, Jack remarried and lived in the home with his new wife in the home that he would have shared with Christina. The couple had two children before divorcing in the 1960s. Jack never spoke about his first marriage. In fact, his children didn't even find out about it until his daughter Sharon uncovered the article in a library while doing family research. Even though they uncovered a story this story before their dad's death, they never mustered up the courage to ask him about it. Ronald Berry moved to New York in 1956. Before he moved to New York, he gifted a two-year-old dog to Jack's son, who was also two. And then the family never heard or saw from him again. Was Christina murdered by the two closest people in her life, or did she attempt a murder-suicide that was interrupted? Or was it an insurance money fraud? Or was it simply a freak accident? Here are my thoughts, and this is just my opinion. I'm going to stand on my Rochelle box. I have no real evidence to back it up, but I just want to offer another theory. So I'm wondering if Ronald had dirt on Jack, I don't know what it was, and was possibly blackmailing him for money. We learned that Ronnie wasn't the most successful guy. He couldn't hold down a job. He had like failed in professional ballroom dancing. He'd failed in construction and realtor, uh, like real estate. Maybe he had some sort of dirt on Jack and he told Jack he had to pay him a certain amount of money and then leave him alone. And that's why Jack gave him his war gratuity and agreed with this plan of this insurance fraud and, uh, and the murder of Christina, basically. He just wanted to pay off his debt faster and get Ronnie off of his back. Another theory mentioned in Reddit in a Reddit thread is that it is possible that the two men were in a bicurious relationship with each other um, and that they kind of set up Christina. Um, in this theory, they claim that Christina was kidnapped and drugged. And then the two men raped her. When she comes to, they tell her what they've done. And she's now, quote, a ruined woman. Not my words, just the belief of the 1940s. Um, They say they're going to tell everyone unless she agrees to be a beard for them. She agrees to marry them, one of them, because she doesn't want her business, like, spread all over the world. Um... And then the whole time, she was just being set up so that the two men could set themselves up with, like, a ton of money. It's an interesting theory. I don't know if it holds any water, but it might. Also interesting that they didn't seem to stay friends afterwards, Jack and Ronnie. But let's not just talk about me. I want to know what you all make of this case. What do you think happened to Christina Kettlewell? Let me know in the comments of the post I made today on Instagram at Mysteries Still Unsolved. Let me know your thoughts, theories, comments, and opinions. I love to read them. If you want to know how you can support the podcast further, you can follow me on Instagram at Mysteries Still Unsolved. You can visit the website www.mysteriesstillunsolved.com. You can DM me a case suggestion. You can tell all of your true crime loving friends and family members about me. And you can join me next time when together we'll discover 
Did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved?